Hello, everybody, and welcome to G-Wiz, your family-friendly podcast where we discuss D&D Onslaught, Dice Masters, Hero Clicks, and the other entertaining games made by WizKids. I'm WizDad, that bard in your party that heals you and has a way too strong party-wide inspiration that just increases your chance to crit and just lasts forever. I will be your guide for navigating the competitive and casual scenes of the WizKids Triforce, of gaming. It is Onslaught Wednesday, and we have quite a bit to talk about from Worlds and the future of Onslaught. So let's kick things off with an all Onslaught WizKids progress report. Kowalski, progress report. So as I mentioned in my Tuesday special edition of GWiz, for the Heroclix fan appreciation, nothing really came out of it for Onslaught. It was very much a Heroclix-centric fan appreciation. Uh, so there was no special information or anything to come out of that. Now, fortunately, like I mentioned in the previous episode, Nicholas Yu, one of the lead designers, the man on the front of the box, was there, as was Alex Davey, the director of miniature games at WizKids, and they were full front there for Onslaught, and they were able to talk to me. I, I did a couple interviews, which will be going up on my YouTube. I, I'm hoping to at least have one of them up this week and the other one maybe this weekend or next week. And they were able to kind of give a little peek behind the curtain of what's coming for Onslaught. Uh, nothing officially as in the way of like, oh yeah, this date, this is coming out. Uh, but there are things on the way. There are definitely plans on the way. <laughs> uh, it's just... They weren't shown at the fan appreciation. What we do know, obviously, is that Frogmire Coven comes out in October, so a month from now. Uh, I will say, having played Frogmire Coven, because it was available at Worlds, uh, it is fantastic. It is definitely a good expansion, like an improvement on the base game. And it kind of, once you see Frogmire Coven, it kind of puts things into better perspective. Uh, when you look at the base game, the scenarios are kind of introductory scenarios. There's a few things you could do with it. And then you could buy all the, you know, you could get the like benefactor and all that stuff. Uh, when you get to Frogmire, things are taking taken up a degree. And, it, and that makes sense, right? A base set should be that, a base set. Here is kind of a good, plain entry into the game. And then the expansions and factions and all of that is what starts adding more layers to this onion that is onslaught and uh, yeah i will emphasize again frogmire coven is uh fantastic uh, i played through i read through the scenarios i'm gonna do an unboxing for the channel also here probably next week i'll have it posted and uh the tournament scenarios were incredibly fun it was nice to see scenarios that you didn't get bonuses, you didn't get victory points for engaging with your opponent. Like, uh, some of some of the different tournament scenarios you encounter are, you know, if you KO an enemy character, you get one victory point. Well, there were some scenarios where that wasn't, you don't get any points for that. So engaging with your opponent was kind of not at the forefront. You still could to slow them down, but it was really just a... How would I explain it? Like a PvP PvE, where you're you're both trying to reach your goal first without necessarily interacting. You do a little dance, and maybe you uh, Sedona and NPC at someone else. But other than that, it's 
attacking your opponent isn't is kind of a waste of time if you're trying to complete all the other steps. And I'll go more into the different tournament scenarios in the Fishing with Wizard segment. So absolutely pick up the Frogmire Coven expansion. The, the two maps are great also. Uh, definitely adds a lot of different colors and uh, artwork than what you are used to in the base set. So having f uh, the availability of four maps as opposed to two. Of course, who doesn't want to have double the maps? And then once again in November is our is the uh, Ancient Construct figure. Uh, Alex and Nick talked about it a bit in their interviews, but it is definitely going to be interesting. It is a figure that takes up two, initi uh, two initiative slots on your team, uh, so it'll be able to work twice. And when it's effectively, when it gets lower on health, it drops down to one initiative slot. So very cool concept. It has different attachments you'll be able to attach to it that uh, to make it like more of a mage, to make it more melee, to make it more of a uh, like a ranged attacker. It's a really cool concept. Um, this is what I mean by like adding layers, adding wrinkles to the game. And uh, I I hope this continues. Uh, I immediately went to my store when I got back. I went yesterday, and uh, I made sure they had the construct to pre-order, or at least attempted to pre-order it. Um, I don't know if we'll still get it. It's a little late. It's September. But either way, I'm going to try. Usually Alliance is pretty good about that for us. But yeah, I ran out and immediately tried to get them to order the OP kit. So that way I can start promoting the game in my store. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't say in the WizKids Progress Report, congratulations to Brian Davis, who is the First world championship for Onslaught. Uh, he won the WizKids, WizKids Worlds Onslaught championship there. Uh, played through six round robin rounds. Round robin rounds sounds funny, and then won in the in the finals with Harpers. Fantastic. Um, <clears throat> I'll have the finals game. That's probably what I'm going to post first onto my YouTube. Is I do have the final finals game. Uh, I was able to record all of that, so I have to go and match some audio, add some, add some uh, pizzazz to it, and I'll put it on YouTube for everybody to watch. It was a very interesting game. It utilized one of the zombie horde scenarios from Frogmire Coven. Uh, you can check out that scenario, by the way, on D and D Onslaught. They have the uh, the tournament scenarios for. Frogmire on there, so go check it out. You can see for yourself. And so yeah, they played that one, and, and that was great. Uh, definitely something to um, watch. Once I put it up, I'll, I'll post on my Facebook when it's posted. And uh, yeah. So with that, um, oh, I, I guess I should mention the things that I learned coming down the pipe is uh, we're getting there is going to be a lower point, a lower dollar entry level into onslaught. They are planning on a I don't want to say a starter but like kind of a starter level thing where it's just gonna be a lower price point they couldn't go into specifics of like how many characters or uh you know what all's included but know that it is going to be significantly cheaper it's not going to be the 150 dollars price point but also know that it's not going to probably be at the same quality of like you know painted fully painted minis uh, it might be, but it might be like 
less amount. Uh, remember in the base set, you got, you know, a young adult dragon, you've got an Etten, you got some gnolls, kobolds, and then you have the six pieces for each faction. Uh, I could see, and once again, they didn't go into specifics when I did the interview, I could see them maybe dropping like the young black dragon and um, maybe some of the minis as well. Drop it down to like gnolls and kobolds. Uh, because most of the scenarios in the in the base game only use those the Etten maybe or or the ogre but either way it, you know you could take out some of those minis uh you could drop it down to five of each faction instead of six uh, or make it where it's just like a smaller introduction and say it's only three minis for a faction that already exists and it could be brand new minis and that way you could say, oh, it's a new thing for Red Wizards, and then you could just buy the faction pack to add the, the rest of them. You know, like a smaller, here's a taste of Onslaught, enough for you to be able to play, but moving forward, here's you should go buy that. Either way, it's on the horizon now. I, I would not expect it, obviously, this year. Uh, next year, hopefully, is when it will be coming out, but keep in mind, these things do take take time. Uh so I'm I'm hoping for like a middle of 2024 type scenario, uh, which you could hope that it uh, arrives sooner rather than later. Because I know price is one of the detriments to the game right now. It's just it's a little too pricey to, to build a huge community or for stores to take a chance. All right, so let's go ahead and talk about what happened to Worlds. Let's talk about the games themselves and let's get into Fishing with Wizdad. Get your gear, little man. We're going fishing. And I mean now. So if you didn't listen to my last episode, well, shame on you. You should have. Um, it was a kind of a recap of how my weekend and uh, how my worlds went, essentially. I promised in that episode that I would kind of go more into detail about how Onslaught went at Worlds. And hey, guess what? That's what we're going to do now. <laughs> so... Um, once again, Worlds was about six rounds. Um, it was a little wonky just because there was only eight players. I could go into a little bit of specifics why that occurred. Um, I think purely it was a little bit of a, um, let's see, a marketing snafu. A tiny bit, just a tiny bit. So once again, if you looked at the Worlds WizKids page, that detailed the event schedule, it was really bare, bare bones of Onslaught. Like, incredibly bare bones. It listed the World Championship, which was on Friday, and was supposed to end on Saturday with a single elimination. And then it listed the, the Battle Royales, like, just only on Saturday. And then didn't really even go into much detail about what it included. Uh, when I talked to Mitchell, the marketing person, he was also confused about why it was only that specific on Saturday. And even the the banners that they made showed only BRs on Saturday. But the intent was always to have Battle Royales the entire weekend. Even demos, they were running the entire world. Um, so that was kind of a mismark. I don't know what happened, a miscommunication. It definitely should have been shown that, hey, Onslaught's there all weekend. It is not just a one-day thing. Um, the other thing, I'm, and I mentioned this to uh, WizKid staff, you know, at Gen Con we had multiple different scenarios. We had the Death Knight scenario, which was a fun, like, sit down, 
play the cool scenario and people leave with the the death knight cards and the death knight minis and they were they were cool now the minis were just kind of the unpainted WizKids like death knight minis which were perfectly fine a perfectly acceptable pricing but that was a cool like a cool scenario to play and so i was um a little sad that they didn't run any of those they probably should have and just had a, a couple of those scheduled throughout worlds like three or four so that way you could get more people sitting down because as i was watching onslaught throughout worlds you know it was kind of empty for the first like thursday there wasn't very many people there was a lot of people like walking by looking at it maybe running some demos but it wasn't until friday and saturday that things started picking up because keep in mind who all is there at worlds at this point because dice masters wasn't really there not that many dice master players were there it's primarily hero clicks players uh, onslaught players showed up probably on friday mostly on friday to play uh, in the tournament but the goal of having onslaught there also is to kind of get some hero clicks players to join you know there was probably over 300 people um unique people at worlds maybe more to be honest but it was you know the goal of onslaught is you know you should get some hero clicks players to try to join the game they it, they like minis a lot of them probably play DD. they should be trying to get those players uh the schedule wasn't really conducive for that which hopefully that that'll be something they change going forward keeping in mind what some of the other scheduling is but i did see going into saturday even sunday when things had wrapped up a lot for hero clicks and it was kind of people were just hanging out before going home there were a lot of hero clicks players starting to do some onslaught br starting to do like hey i want to just try the game because they had a bunch of games set up it was great on how onslaught staff had everything set up they had multiple tables of the base game set up they had multiple tables of the frogmire coven set up so you saw frog Frogemoth sitting there and then they had um pulled out all the different cards all the different characters for the battle royales because it was a draft process where you drafted three characters to go into the into the battle so uh that all was great the br format i think was fantastic i think a lot of people liked it i think the prizing was amazing for it to be honest because uh, what they did ultimately and i don't know if this will be the the method going forward uh but basically you played in a br and when you sat down to play whoever won left with a faction pack or the expansion pack pretty much of their choice you know they had many arrows red wizards they had their faction packs there and then the expansions for harpers and zentarum uh, so for mine, I, I left with the Red Wizard faction pack because I played them that weekend and I, I love the Red Wizards and I thought, heck yeah, I'm gonna, <laughs> I want Red Wizards. Uh, they, they're great. And so I was able to pick up that faction pack and now I just have to go there, get the expansion and I'm, I'm good to go. But let's let's talk a little bit. Um, first off, before we break into what everyone played, I do want to mention because I failed to mention it in the previous segment the progress report um brian davis won every uh, won it all but he did face in finals doug howl i think it's Howl, um or hall uh doug i believe went undefeated in round robin and met brian in the finals so i wanted to make sure doug got his 
his uh, re respect. He did <laughs> he did incredibly well. Uh, you know, in the in the finals, which you guys will see on the YouTube again, uh, it, it was just a key dice rolls that didn't go his way, uh, and all, obviously the play of Brian and and, and Doug himself. It was very uh, you know digging into a scenario that was new and that, that changed on the fly a little bit as well. Um, it was a very interesting finals. Uh, my goal for the worlds was to at least record one match. I did record a few others that I will put up as well. Uh, some of the round robin matches, I believe I was able to record, I think, one or two other matches. Uh, because I think that's what Onslaught ultimately needs now is more, uh, more visibility, more showing what the competitive side is. Because a lot of people, I think, are losing the fact that Onslaught is not just a... It's not like a Trials of Tempest game. Uh, like, it's not just your standard D&D, $150 price point. You sit down, you play through scenarios, you're done. It is a skirmish, competitive game. It can be, I should say. That you can do that with scenarios. You can take it home, spend it with your significant other spend time playing through scenarios or with your friends play through some scenarios and have a fun campaign but then you can also do some just some tournament play and sit down and pick a team and play through uh, some tournament scenarios so there's the i think the flexibility is what the big appeal should be about onslaught so like once again there were eight players including myself uh out of the eight players if i remember correctly there were two red wizards which included myself there was one Sunterum, and then there were five Harpers. Uh, very much a drastic change from Gen Con. Gen Con, I felt like there was a lot more Sunterum. And I think that really shows that certain factions just aren't inherently that much stronger than others, uh, except for many arrows, as we've talked about, is just not quite there yet. Uh, that really Harpers and Zenterum are pretty balanced when it comes to fighting each other sure some might do better in certain scenarios and i think that's what we saw here at gen con you did not have the frogmire scenarios uh, they also had changed some of the scenarios like the placement of certain things from gen con uh, gen con you could you could lose you could use lasael or however you say the person's name a little bit from zentera to kind of get a little bit more loot than you were supposed to be getting because of how fast La Sayel is. And, you know, that advantage would lead a lot of people to play in Zentarum, especially the group from, I don't know where Brian's group is, St. Louis. I'm sorry, Brian, if you listen to this. And Lexi, I don't know where your group is located. Um, but either way, they, you know, they talk through this a lot. They are very much, uh, they work together on, you know, building out the, the most complete meta teams or competitive teams so in this case it was harper's for one reason i alluded to in the introduction and her name is chloe uh, this was brought up to alex and nick and they were re very responsive to it realizing yeah it chloe might be a little too good on harper's In inspiration is cool once again if you don't know what she does she has a inspiration ability it's a bonus action five turn cooldown Gain inspiring. Friendly characters at range zero to five gain plus two to their highest attack rolls and plus one damage with basic attacks. That is huge. 
massive, especially if you plan it correctly and play Chloe early in the initiative for first turn. Have her do inspiration, get her into position, and then next turn have her go last because inspiration goes away by the time her next activation, like the, at the end of her next activation. So that would give you effectively two turns with a plus two to their highest attack roll and the plus one damage. I will say arguably the plus one damage is probably the most important because that adds up quickly. Tag that with Gravel Shanks, who's doing two attacks and the plus two to dice rolls, which means it isn't plus two to their attack. It's plus two to their dice rolls to the, to the D20. So you roll an 18 that is now a 20 that is now a critical hit so i know in my first game i got chloe and gravel shanks basically where his gravel shank i think rolled the crit thanks to inspiration and then second attack so i think dealt like oh goodness like seven to eight damage like taking my my poor staghar like down to blood eater last click like immediately which was insane. I was not... I knew Gravel was going to, you know, hit hard. I did not expect all of that. Uh, and it was all... Like, a lot of it was thanks to Chloe giving essentially two damage because hitting twice. It's just incredibly, incredibly strong. The other interesting thing that I, I have been sleeping on, I, I will say, I, I've slept on this character a lot... Um, both Brian and Doug both played Ayer, Ayer, which is the, um, oh shoot, what's the race? Um, the, um, okay, now I'm blanking on, uh, the Aarakocra. No, is it Aarakocra? No, what is the, now I'm going to have to look it up. No, I was right. It was the Aarakocra. <laughs> uh, the Aarakocra. Uh, like drunken master monk the reason why Iyer is especially good in this format is because of the tournament scenarios Frogmire Coven has a lot of water water is hindering for movement which means you it takes two movement points to move through one space think of it like rough terrain so Harpers have two characters that can kind of circumvent that. That's Ire, and that's Nurith. Nurith has fastly become incredibly good. I also slept on Nurith originally, but Nurith. Uh, let's talk about Nurith first. So Nurith's a rogue for movement. Uh, what Nurith does that is incredibly good is Ambush Master. That is the reaction after initiative cards are assigned exchange your initiative cards with the initiative one card so you usually save that for when you're not first player you hope you probably get one of the lower initiatives like a 9 10 and then when you're playing nerf depending on what you want to happen that match depending on if there's someone you're close to taking out or uh, like an npc you're about to take out you use ambush master to take their one and give them the 10. And that dramatically changes the game for your opponent. They could be used now, good opponents would probably catch on that you have Nerith and either play their own Nerith or not put their one 
on the person that you don't want. Like, if you're trying to get someone out of dodge, try to make sure you don't put the one on them and just know, hey, hopefully I'll hopefully they can survive to turn three. Nerth on its own, besides that, is still very strong. Cast net is great for rooting. Uh, and the damage isn't bad. Two damage for the uh, spear is not bad. And the ambush is another thing that's good. Uh, plus one damage against enemies who have not activated this round. You can play that pretty well, especially with Ambush Master, to have Nerth be doing pretty significant damage. Nerth only really has to combat with Abelio, which I think is slept on a little bit for his capabilities, but compared to Nerth at this point, he's just... He's not as... I don't know what to say about Abelio. I like Abelio, but Nerth has now kind of supplanted him as the go-to tactician. And then for Ayer in these scenarios, once again, because of water, Ayer has flight. Oh, and Nerth has an amphibious, so he's able to just kind of go through the water. Ayer has flight, so basically the uh, the hindering is not... He ignores it. The thing with Ayer is he's slow. He's only got a three movement. He does have tipsy sway, which has a one turn cooldown, so it's pretty much always up. So he can move two. Um, and then he has Frenzy, which is very good, which allows him to just keep basically making multiple attacks. Uh, he's... How to explain him? I like Ayer. I don't know if I love Ayer. Because it's a plus four to hit, two damage. If they hit, target gains bleeding. Bleeding's always great. And then... They, which means they deal kind of what they take one damage at the start of their activation so i mean it, it's um the thing with ire is that his talons and maybe i missed this when i first read it i think i did his talons allow him to target two people as separate attack so he could come in plus four to hit two damage and he could hit two people and then he can frenzy to make two more attacks, which effectively is four more attacks because each of those basic attacks is hitting two people. So he could basically get kind of six attacks, I believe. Now, Frenzy does require a standard and a movement to do, so it's not as if you're just easily getting up there. Now, you could tipsy sway your way up um, with a bonus. I think I missed a lot of that when I was going through the reviews. And that is, that's 100% on me. <laughs> but I will say the water of Frogmire is significant. It very much changes how you have to play. Uh, so for the scenarios that we had, which we'll go over here in a second, it was, um, it was clear that, you know, Iyer changed a lot of things. Now, luckily, his slow speed made him kind of comparable and and the bridge mechanics that they have for it also made it not where the water was absolutely horrifying but it was interesting to have to plan around oh my character usually moves for five now they might only move for three because of the water um outside of that like a lot of the harpers like i said there's five harpers two red wizards ones in Terum. i Let's go, let me go over some of the rosters. Now, a lot of the main players, the top players, played with a lot of the treasures from the Benefactor set. So if you don't own the Benefactor set, I would argue a lot of those 
treasures, equipment, if you will. I feel like they're superior to the base set ones. Uh, so feel free to go ahead and pick up that if you have not. But Brian, let's go ahead and talk about, let's talk about Brian and Doug's. I won't go through everyone's roster. Um, I'll go through mine and then I'll go through Brian's and Doug's. I believe they were playing the same roster, but I'll have to double check. Uh, so let's see. Yeah, it looks almost identical. Doug was playing Harper's. He played Gravel Shanks, Lightning Dancer, Sedona, Hangaku. Yay, Hangaku. Nurith, Iyer, and Chloe. So nothing too crazy there. I think the general play they went with is Chloe, Gravel, Nurith, Sedona, probably Iyer. Maybe Lightning Dancer. It really depends. Um, for Brian, it was the same team. So they, they effectively printed out the same roster. She did, did it for both of them. Because uh, they are friends, same play group. Uh, so they decided to play something very, very similar. Uh, Lexi, who was, I believe, third, uh, she played pretty much the same team. Instead, in, instead of Iyer, though, uh, Abelio was played. But Gravel Shanks, Lightning Dancer, Sedona, Hengaku, Nerith, and Chloe. I think it's an everyone's in kind of agreement at this point when it comes to cell sorts Hengaku's really the only one i think that makes sense on harper's because of the role situation Hengaku's really good um but you know it, it just kind of makes sense for me i played red wizards and i settled on and i don't know if this is right because i kind of just made it up the, the morning of uh, i hadn't practiced it at all because i don't own red wizards Except now I do. <laughs> so um, I played Staghar. That was one of the ones I wanted to play. I just knew I wanted to play Staghar. And that is the... Uh, Her is it Haraby? Heron? The, basically the rabbit race from D&D. Who is a wildfire druid. I love wildfire druids. I also played Azra, uh, Basra, Ashlord... Um, Elac, Undanen, uh, Quella, Bre uh, Brelton, Vendra, Fairloon, and then I did a cell sort of Drom because I wanted someone who was a little bit tankier and was able to kind of take some hits. From what I could tell you from my experience in the three games that I played, first off, Staghart is really good. Um, giving burning is just good in general. Because you can just attack and give burning, and they basically have to stop moving in order to not continue to get burned. Very, very good. Staghart is very easy to kill, though. Staghart came close multiple times to die, but that Wildfire Spirit is nothing to sneeze at. Well, the Wildfire Spirit can be pretty, pretty good. Um, I ultimately went with uh, Vendra almost every single game. Vendra just gave me some of the flexibility, kind of like Lasayel gives in the movement. Um, I knew going into this, I knew water and hindering were going to be a concern. I knew I was going to go slow. So Vendra moves four, but Vendra also has Writhing Tide, which is a cooldown ability movement. Move up to six bases, ignoring elevation and enemies. Minis move through game bleeding. So while it doesn't move through... Um, 
hindering. That does turn my movement from like two squares to three squares. And there were times, most of the time, I sacked my standard for a movement. So that this ultimately took, if I was moving just through water, two squares to five squares, which is huge. Venture also does the kind of weird cone special attack. So a plus, or sorry, basic attack. Five, damage, five to hit, two damage. That was fine. Um, Venture was ultimately great for what I needed Venture to be. Venture ran out there, got me loot. In the prisoner scenarios, got me my prisoners. Uh, was able to outrun a lot of things. It, it was it was really really good. As for the rest of them, um, I chose Quella, but I don't think I ever played Quella over Staghar. Uh, Quella was just on my list. Same with Elac. I didn't ever play Elac. Uh, I played Fairloon, which is the range warlock, uh, because that three damage. Agonizing Blast is just generally good. Just being able to have that in your arsenal know, hey, I just got three damage at the ready from a decent range. I might drop Fairloon. It, it depends. Basra was pretty decent. Um, the thought was I was playing Drom, and I mentioned this, I think, in my Cell Sword episode. You know, Drom deals damage at the end of his activation next to anyone that was slowed and rooted. Basra, when they when Basra crits, let's see, is it crit or uh, no? With the entangling strike bonus action, which has a three turn cooldown, that slows your enemy. So I was using her in tandem with Drom to try to deal some more damage. It did not work as well as I wanted it to. And I will also mention Basra is cool. But man, is that combat reflex is not as cool as you would hope it would be. Uh, the reaction combat reflex is after an enemy at range 1 to 2 moves, if it is no longer at range 1 to 2, make a free attack against that enemy. I don't think I ever got that reaction off, because they would just move 2 away, and then get someone else in, in into fray. A lot of times they just didn't move greater than two <laughs> so they were always in that kind of two circle around basra that i was never really able to get that off but ultimately i think red wizards is, is in a great place i think more practice would have done me a lot lot better but i went effectively three and one so i, I can't complain at all um i think i think i would have played around more with uh, jelana perhaps Let's see, Jelana. Yeah, probably Jelana. I don't know about Zelsha, the Poison Bard. But there's definitely some improvements I could do. Especially with Treasure. I unfortunately forgot my cards in my room. And I played with the base set. I would have rather liked to play with some of the, uh, the Benefactor cards. For sure. Because some of the Benefactor cards are ultimately better. So let's go through some of the scenarios that were included in the tournament. Um, the tournament had, I believe, let's see, there were eight scenarios. Let me go back. I'm looking at the wrong thing. Yeah. Uh, so there were ultimately, uh, let's just go through them. You had the Horde version, the Etten, 
the rescue, the ritual, the betrayal. And then you had deathmatch and contention and capture. Deathmatch as uh, contention and capture had been adjusted from where they were before. Um, the contention, the points, and let me just go through them one by one. Uh, deathmatch was the same. Deathmatch that doesn't really change. You just go. There's some loot. You take out each other. Contention is one where you stand on. You get victory points by looting a chest, defeating an armored knoll, defeating an enemy, and then at the end of each round, gain a victory point for being on a control point and basically having, like, controlling the control point. And you get that by having the most characters on there. The control points used to be in the middle on the other side of a 2x2 two two square. And so that led to a lot of shenanigans. Uh, you could have get, gotten, I believe it's like the dust of displacement or, or certain things that would allow you to like warp to the other side. Uh, a Belio could really shut down one side. There's a, a little too much you could do um, that really inhibited certain characters, especially like long range characters with how close and how cut off that was. So, wisely so, they moved some things around. The two control points are now off center. Uh, they are near some armored knolls, which were not not easy to take out by far. And uh, it, I think it worked a lot better. It wasn't just a, let me race over there. You can't really get there in one turn, even with La Salle. Uh, it worked. I feel like it felt fine. I felt like it was a, a good improvement. It's a good format. Um, that was the one match I lost. Um, I just did. I wasn't as aggressive as I should have been. Uh, that was the match that Staghart got destroyed by uh, Gravel Shanks because uh, I just I played poorly. It was dusting some rust. That was my first match. I had I was rusty. Should have played that a lot better. Now I did not play the capture one. Uh, capture is basically move into your end zone with the relic. That's where basically you have the relic and you. Uh, you try to get it to each end zone. I believe they moved where the end zones are. They aren't kind of in the back of the end zone anymore. Uh, they, they made some mild changes. And I can see, let me compare it to the, the previous one. But basically you get a victory point. You get three victory points for mo move into your end zone with the enemy relic. Defeat an enemy carrying your relic, you get a victory point. And then at the end of the game, one victory point for each friendly character that is not defeated and one victory point for each item equipped to a friendly character. So the game ends effectively, let's see, does it say it ends? It's six rounds. Oh yeah, there. it's just, it doesn't just end when it gets to the other side, which is, that's interesting. But you can go out there and see the original version, which is what I'm doing now. The original version Okay, so it's it's the victory points. That's what that's ultimately what changed. Capture used to be move into your end zone with the relic and you win. And then at the end of the game, you get two victory points for each friendly character that was not defeated, and one victory point for each item equipped to a friendly character. That was changed to now just strictly you get it into your end zone, you get three victory points. Period. But that doesn't end the game. The game is still six rounds. You then get a victory point now for taking out an enemy carrying your relic so kind of extra incentive that that did not exist before 
And then they toned it down to at the end of the game, you gain one victory point for each friendly character that is not defeated and one for each item equipped to a friendly. Whereas before it was two victory points for each friendly. So basically before in a capture game, if you were able to just grab that relic and just bolt to the other side as quickly as possible, you would probably win the game. Because no one would have died. You got your relic there and it was basically grab your relic, get there first, which isn't great balance for like you played against the Terran, which are a lot faster. Um, isn't great for that. So this kind of says, hey, well, those that are faster get a benefit. They do get three victory points because they got there first. But now if you take out that character, because it, it, it ultimately inhibited, you ultimately decided, hey, I'm not necessarily going to engage my opponent. I'm just going to try to get there first. Now you want to engage. Now you can get a victory point for taking out that character. Or you decrease their victory points by taking out their characters. It's it's better. I think this is a much better version. Um, I'll have to talk to the people that played it because I, I believe they played this during when I was not playing. Uh, so I, I missed out on that. Now we hop into some of the Frogmire scenarios because uh, there were definitely some really good ones. The first one was the rescue. This one I think was my favorite. Um, this one is the like PvE PvP one. Your objectives is to rescue your friends, enemies, and everyone in between while fending off the kobolds and bullywugs. Defeat a bullywug ambusher two victory points. First off, the bullywug ambushers are a pain. They are not easy to take out. They follow you they go after you. They are a pain. You cannot ignore them. They give you victory points, thank goodness. But they aren't easy to kill. I think they had like a 15 defense. Um, they were not just easy to take out. And they are positioned uh, basically by the closest prisoner. To be honest. Now, additionally on this... Um, for this map also, when you choose characters you choose two of your characters so you have your party of five you choose two of them to begin the game as prisoners and they are put on the map in specific spots and they don't do anything they get assigned activation cards and when their activation comes nothing happens because they are prisoners so you start the game with only three characters and your goal is to get out there rescue some prisoners now your character prisoners are kind of in the other opposite corner of the map and in the middle of the map. Once you the free prisoner, a character just has to end their activation next to them, adjacent to them, and that prisoner is, you know, taken off the map, you get a victory point. Same with your character, except when you end your activation next to a character prisoner, they now become active and they're back to being a character. And so if their activation comes up that turn, hey, they're back, we're here. So you only get victory points, once again, for taking out the Bullywug Ambusher. There's also a Yanti Archer in the middle that's worth three victory points. It's a much bigger character. It deals some pretty big damage. You have to watch out for that. Um, you rescue a prisoner, you get one victory point. You gain an additional victory point if you rescue a character prisoner from the opposing party. So if you can make it to their character and rescue them, you get two victory points. The downside is... They now activate at, like right next to you. But the plus side is, is that there are no victory points for taking out your opponents. So just plainly just attacking your opponent doesn't do anything. It, you don't get victory points for taking out an enemy. 
Now, if your character is sacrificed, you lose one victory point. So, ultimately, that's what happened to... Um, uh, let's see. Let me read through this real quick. Pr prisoners. Prisoners do not activate, cannot take any actions or reactions, cannot be attacked. However, character prisoners are assigned initiative cards, as I said, and their activations are skipped. A character may rescue one adjacent, adjacent prisoner at the end of their activation. Non-character prisoners are removed from the map when rescued. Character prisoners that are rescued can henceforth activate as normal, including during the round in which they are rescued, providing their initiative card hasn't already passed. If an enemy ends their activation next to one or more prisoners, one adjacent prisoner is sacrificed and removed from the map. Character prisoners cannot be sacrificed until all non-character prisoners are rescued or sacrificed. So, in the case of my, in the case of mine, they hadn't gotten all of their prisoners. Uh, all there were still some non-character prisoners out there, so I probably could have waited to activate theirs because then that would have meant theirs was sacrificed. Uh, that would have scored me more points, but I was in the neighborhood, <laughs> so I went ahead and did it. And then I was able to rescue my own character. And then it was kind of a race at that point because he, he got his Vendra to race to mine, uh, race to my corner person. And uh, luckily my Vendra was in the neighborhood also. And it was like a Vendra versus Vendra race to see who could get there first. And ultimately I won. And uh, that's that was the match I won. Super cool scenario. I don't know what I would change in it. Now, there's a lot of water, like I said, but you do begin with a bridge. I believe it's a 1x4 bridge. That is, like, just a bonus action to put down. Uh, and you can walk on it. So it's not that bad. It's a very, very cool format. The next one I did was the uh, the Betrayal. This one was interesting. And what is even more interesting is that we... My match, we played this vastly different than the other team that was really playing it. So the Betrayal... Works as so. Effectively, you select your five characters to make a team. You know, pretty standard. Then you select two of your characters to be marked safe. And then you get the three to the tokens for your three remaining players, the characters I should say, and you give them to your opponent. And your opponent chooses one of those and hides it from you. And then you do the same for your opponent. And then simultaneously, you, you reveal the one character they chose, and that character is now a traitor and joins your opponent's team. And then the, the traitor has a special spot on the map. They start on the other side of the map, and effectively, you are trying to get the traitor to the escape space. And so, in order for the traitor to get to the escape space, they have to go by effectively the opponent's starting area so we played it a little differently we tried to avoid oh also during all of this there's a control point in the middle of the map where there's a green hag who is trying to woo your players to her to obliterate you now you win the game if your traitor reaches the escape spot it's just playing out you win which isn't nearly as easy as the relic because there is water in between the opposing forces like they're waiting um, if you defeat the enemy traitor you get three victory points if you defeat an enemy you gain a victory point um, it says on here defeat the Yanti assassin for two points 
Um, Alex Davey made the decision during the tournament that the assassin probably was a little too much, so they waived the Yanti assassin. But I'm thinking maybe it would have been fine. And then you get three points for taking out the green hag. So where it's different from what our game was played is we just ignored the green hag altogether. Uh, the green hag only takes one maximum damage from range. The only way you deal damage is if you're adjacent, really. But when you, you're adjacent, you become poisoned and all this bad stuff happens. So we just kind of went around the hag because the hag just sings the song and chooses the closest person to character to lure them to her. And so they use their movement speed to get closer. But with all the water, it's like you're talking two squares. It's not significant. So in this game, we kind of got half our team matched up with the other half of the team. And uh, my opponent just had some really bad rules. I feel bad. Uh, I was able to kind of take out a few of their characters early. Or not early, near the end. I was able to take out their ire. I was able to take out, um, you know, the the kobolds on the map. There are some kobold acolytes. There are some bullywug ambushers. And they can start dealing some damage very quickly. Very, very quickly. Um, in my game, my opponent chose my Basra and I chose their Sedona. I probably should have chosen differently. Um, but it was fun. It was, it was a very fun format. I think it's... Um, it could maybe use some tinkering on the Hag. Maybe make the Hag a little bit more formidable. Uh, just because, you know, it... Unless you're going specifically for the hag to get the victory points, she's somewhat ignorable. Because you could just go around her, because she's in the center of the map, but she doesn't move. So, just ignore her. She might inconveniently move you, but sometimes that's okay. And then the last match was the uh, the ritual. That was the one with the zombies. I, I did not play that one. I watched it a bit on the finals match. That one needed a little bit of adjustment during the match because I believe the zombies that pop up, they do a lot of damage. And if you're not able to take them all out, it could get a little overwhelming. Uh, so I believe in the match they decided to uh, lower the amount, <laughs> the amount of zombies that popped up. I think it was like two originally. Yeah, at the end of each round, if the Sea Hag is undefeated, spawn up to two zombies in the lowest available numbered zombie spawn points well those zombies aren't exactly super easy to kill and they can add up very quickly so they they tuned that down to one for the tournament because the game is also about engaging with your opponent right it's not just zombies you don't get any points for taking out zombies so but yeah that, that's the scenarios for the tournament uh, once again the tournament scenarios are kind of just uh, toned down versions of the scenarios in the game uh, I posted on my Facebook the WizDat Facebook page uh, where exactly uh, all the scenarios from the coven uh, from the Frogmire coven so definitely check that out you can see what the full scenarios are tournament scenarios are listed on the dndonslot.com website uh, now, for the updated ones, you need to go into FAQ section, and then there'll be tournament scenarios. They have kind of both of their old version, the old version and the new version out there, and separate pages. It's not in tournament resources. That's the old one. 
look for the one that says update in September and you'll see it. Um, and you can try that for yourself at home. If you want to try any of these tournament scenarios at your local, you could do it as well. Um, I did explore and mention to Alex and Nick that, hey, you know, if we're worried about getting local play, maybe if there's a way to, for the, at least the map portions, like not necessarily all the other things, but just the maps, if there was a way to introduce a printed version that could be printed, that would be great. Just so stores can run tournaments and say, hey, we're going to provide the maps and just go to wherever, Kinko, Staples, I don't know, and just go print out some maps, get them uh, get them laminated, so that way you could just put them out for everyone. And everyone still brings their own minis, still brings all the other stuff, still incited, incites them to get a base set, but also just has the printed stuff there. Um, I'm going to look into seeing if I can get some of these printed. Uh, the base set, I don't think I'm going to try the Frogmire ones. The problem is, is that all of these maps are gridded and when you try to print gridded maps it could get a little wonky with sizes. It's usually better to be able to put the art down and then to put the grid over it but um, I'm gonna I'm gonna work with it a little bit and see if I can do something like that uh, just so I could get my local playing. Coming out of this world I have no been reinvigorated on trying to build a local community um, my local game store actually asked me okay well who do you think this game appeals to would it be better for miniature players or D&D players and I said I think both but I get his question because I wanted to demo this game and try to get people interested so I'm battling with who like it, it's tough I think D&D players would like some of the combat but maybe not the competitive side they might like some of the scenarios i think competitive miniature players probably are the target um but either way i'm gonna try to start scheduling things when i have time start trying to get some demos going in my local stores and try to start promoting the game a bit uh, what i'm gonna look into is trying to make my own whether that's printed maps um try to find a way to make my own kind of tournament kits which you know now that i think about it that would be an awesome product for stores is a tournament kit but not prizing kit but like a purchasable kit that maybe came with just no teams um but could just come with the maps the npc figures and you know some of the like tokens and the initiative cards like the basics you need for a tournament without the actual factions just so they can you know run tournaments that might not be a terrible idea that's a lower price point but either way um worlds was fantastic once again congrats to brian um i believe the next tournament we heard about was maybe a pax unplugged in december which is in philly um i, I won't be going to that because uh that's a pretty big expense um so hopefully we'll we'll hear some bigger things i think now this is usually the time of year if you're if you're used to WizKids at all this is the time of year where things kind of slow down a bit um we get after worlds it's kind of like a big reprieve and then things kick back up in early spring so i'm hoping things get kick back up in early spring i might even look into hosting an onslaught tournament myself 
uh, locally and try to get some players to come in for that. I also want to look into getting Onslaught onto Roll20, at least in some archaic format to be able to play a little bit, is what I'm hoping. Uh, enough to be where we could practice. I think right now the hardest part is it's hard to build a community when it's hard to play, and it's a little hard to play right now. But that'll do it for this episode of GWiz. Uh, once again, stay tuned to my WizDad Gaming YouTube page. I will be posting the interviews I did with Nicholas Yu and Alex Davey, and I will be posting the different matches from Worlds. I didn't get every match. I got finals, and then I got like one or two other matches. Uh, I'll be posting that on my YouTube page and a few other things as well. Uh, but yeah, thank you guys for listening to GWiz, and I'll catch you next time.